church by the Holy Spirit to, to be bold in witness and to proclaim their faith with real power. And God, through his Holy Spirit, is, is with us as well to enable us to do the very same things. And, um, and now that the children are out, I, I just thought it would, be, it would be good for us to take a moment to pray. Um, actually, you may have seen Annie approach me after the announcements to share with me a text that I just want to read to you so that we could pray. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm going to be careful with how I say things. If there are any particularly young kids still in here, I, I just I wouldn't want them to be fearful. But I, I just think it's, it's right that we, we start this way. So here's, here's the text from a reliable source. Um, an underground church in Kabul, Afghanistan, is now at home with the Lord. We received news that this church has been martyred completely. Our friends have been in contact and met uh, together last night in prayer, and they were on the phone with them. One of the ladies from the church, as we were speaking on the phone, said, quote, We feel your prayers because this supernatural boldness came over us, and we were singing in the Spirit. And even the kids said, Mom, we won't deny Jesus. As they were on the phone with these friends, they heard activity in the background. God is so powerful and good. They went to be with the Creator filled with joy. We'll be fasting tomorrow for the churches in Afghanistan. I just didn't think that it was right that we could just jump into the book of Acts, which is talking about people losing their lives for the cause of the gospel and sharing the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon people in such particular ways without taking time to pray. Um, so, so can I just have someone pray? Richard, would you just stand and... and uh, Pray loudly, if you would.
Thank you, Richard. <laughs> what a testimony to the power of Christ to be at work in such challenging circumstances that faith arose. God gave wonderful faith in the midst of such times. <laughs> the thing is, God doesn't just want to give them rich faith. God has invited you here this morning. The gathered church is not our idea. This is God's doing. It's God's invitation. It's God's drawing of you to come and receive this morning from him. You know, sometimes we can think that church is us giving to God praise, and and there is an element of that that's true. We are giving him praise, and what joy that is. But we are receiving from the Lord this morning. He's the one that called us together. And, and so as we do so, may we have hearts that are open to what he wants to say to us. In fact, um, as, as I was preparing this message, I, I, I have to tell you, you're not going to hear anything new this morning. Uh, nothing new. In fact, what we're going to see is the early church at work and, and to see what they did. And, and my prayer is that you and I, we together, will be stirred up by way of reminder on some simple, basic, absolutely essential things in the Christian life. And uh, I'm, I'm eager to get to it. Uh, last week, we began in chapter 1. I invite you to turn with me now to Acts chapter 1, if you would. Last week we began in chapter 1, um, and we saw that Jesus does a lot of things to prepare his disciples for what he's called them to. He, he first of all, he calls them by name. He, he calls them to himself, and, and then he empowers them by the Holy Spirit. We're going to see this next week in, in Acts chapter 2 as the Spirit comes in, in mighty power. Um, not just for some kind of dynamic display, but so that the, the church would have the power to stand up to angry mobs and, and to stand up in ways that was significant. We'll see in chapter 7, Stephen gets stoned to death for the cause of the gospel. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he can do that. And so, you know, the Lord is coming and, and Jesus has equipped them and empowered them and commissioned them to go. And, and in fact, when we ended uh, last week, he had said, hey, I, I want you to wait to go back to Jerusalem. They were on the Mount of Olives and to go back to Jerusalem. And so what we see here today in, the, in what we're going to read is how they responded. What, what did the, the early church actually do with the command of Christ um, and so we're going to read Acts 1, starting at verse 12. We're going to read through verse 25. And as I read this morning, again, I just want to remind you that these are the perfect, um, holy, inspired, inerrant words of the Lord. God is addressing you, not any man. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. About a quarter mile, by the way. 
And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And all these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons in all was about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who is also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Father, we pray that as we take a few minutes now together and look at your word, we pray for the illumination of your Holy Spirit, Would you come and make alive to us this word? And would you remind us through this word of the call to prayer and the call to depend utterly upon you in every way and the call to trust in your word and be governed by it, Lord. You have given your word, you've spoken to us that we might be blessed, that we might walk with you, and that we might know you. And so we pray, Lord, Do the work through your Holy Spirit that no man can do, no woman can do, but only you can do. We pray now together in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask you, tomorrow, um, hopefully most of us have the day off tomorrow. Uh, To those who are not off tomorrow, I say to you, thank you for keeping our country running. Because if we were all off, nothing would happen tomorrow. So thank you if you're working tomorrow. But many of us will have off tomorrow. And the question I want to ask you is, what are you going to do with your day off tomorrow? Are you going to work around your house, do some projects around the house? Or are you going to call some friends and forget about the projects at the house and just focus on friendship and, and enjoy that? Or maybe you're going to combine them both and call your friends over to come work on the projects at your house. Yeah. Okay, stay away from the berries. <laughs> My point is simply this. What we do reveals something about us, right? 
If you choose to do projects or to be with people and ignore the projects or whatever, all all I'm saying is what we choose to do reveals something about our values. It reveals what's important to us, right? Well, here we have the record of the early church. They have, they've just seen the Shekinah glory of God as Jesus ascended back to the Father in this cloud, this glorious cloud. Can you imagine how excited they were? They've, they've been an eyewitness to his resurrection. They're not passive. They're, they're probably like uh, jumbo jets on the runway ready to take off. And, and, and do the mission that Jesus had called them to. And what does he say? He's like, turn off the engines for right now. Just, just stay. Stay in Jerusalem. And I, I wonder if they were tempted to not listen to Jesus, to, to get going on their own anyway. Particularly how they use their time here is very telling of what is important to them. And I think we would really do well just to be reminded of, of what the early church did with their time, what they prioritized and said, hey, we could do a lot of things right now, but this is what we're going to do in response to Jesus. So first thing we see here, I, I see this expectant obedience. <clears throat> Verse 4 tells us, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. So that was the word that he left them with, like, you know, don't go yet. Just, just be patient and wait. So there are 10 days between the time of the ascension and the time of Pentecost. So these are what we're looking at today is, is what happened over those 10 days. And verse 12 says they returned to Jerusalem. As I said, it was a, about a quarter mile, so not a long walk, but it, that was what was accorded for walking on the Sabbath day. So they, they walked back to Jerusalem, and they stayed, and they obeyed. And, and it seems so simple that it's easy to just pass over. Okay, big deal. They went back to Jerusalem. What I'm highlighting to you is they simply obeyed Jesus and took him at his word. They, they put faith and trust in Jesus and didn't run ahead of him or lag behind him. They, they obeyed what he asked them to do. And I think about obedience. And to obey is to trust, right? To obey is to trust. When I was young, my dad said, do this. And, and I did it, partly because I better <laughs> if you know what I mean, but also partly because my dad, while imperfect, loved me, and I knew it. And so when he said, do this, I believed that what was in his heart for me was not evil, but good. And so when he commanded me to do something, and there were times where it kind of felt that way, um, not too often, but once in a while, he, you know, do this, and I did it. Because I believe I knew his heart. I knew that doing this would not only obey the command to honor, but also it was because I trusted and and I knew my dad loved me. Dear friends, dear church, you know, when we don't obey the simple commands of Scripture, do you know what we're communicating to our Lord? Do you realize what we're saying to him? I think most of the time, What we're saying is, I I don't trust you. 
I don't believe that you have my best interest at heart. I don't believe you know what you're talking about when you command me to do such a thing, and therefore um, I'm not going to do it. Or I might do part of it, but I'm not going to do all of it. Or I'm going I'm to water down what you call me to do. And I am guilty of this, dear friends, as many of us, in fact, are. I do not always obey the commands of Christ. In fact, sometimes when I hear the command of Christ, my response is to walk the other direction. That's me. I wonder if you're like me. And this morning as, as I was reading the passage over the past week and a half and just, just thinking, Lord, what is it here that, that you want for us to see? It's very simple. They obeyed Christ. They did what he asked them to do. And I don't think that's that's insignificant. I think that's very significant because what what we have is what they didn't have. We have the full counsel of the word of God. They just had the Old Testament. We have all of this and and this is a book of love. It's not a book of rules and regulations and if you don't line up, God's going to whack you. No, we know that. That's not his heart toward us. But brothers and sisters, you know, I I think sometimes we can get very comfortable in reading what the Word says and not simply obeying it. And I just want to hold in front of you this early church. It was a priority to them. It was important for them. What they spent their time doing was obeying the words that God had shared with them. And so I just say to you, to to obey is to trust To obey is to exhibit trust. In fact, I just want to remind us, and this is what I say, I want to stir us up simply by way of reminder. We can trust every word that God tells us in the Scripture. Let me remind you from from two Scriptures in particular. This is 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction for training in righteousness. Every word of the Lord is true. We will never get bad counsel from the word of God. And yet in this moment, I'm asking you honestly to evaluate how you are presently responding to the word of the Lord. And I'll share with you how I often respond. When the word uh, commits or calls me to do something that I agree with or that I like, I'm like, amen, yeah, I'm such a good Christian. But there are occasions when it calls to me to do things that I, I don't want to do. I'm good at justifying. I'm good at finding a way around it. And I don't think that I'm alone in this room. And I I want to hold forward that every word of Scripture is breathed out by God for our good and that we can and should, as his sons and daughters, obey him. Every command, every precept, every word of the Lord is true. Let me read Psalm 19. This is beautiful. The law of the Lord, and just just let this wave over you as... I hope it comforts and encourages you. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. They'll never fade away. 
The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them, by the words of the Lord, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is what? Say it with me. Great reward. In keeping the words of the Lord, there is great reward. The early church needed to decide what it was going to do with the very first commandment that Jesus gave to them. Were they going to keep the word of the Lord and obey? Or were they going to take matters into their own excited hands and get this thing going already? They obeyed him. They trusted him. They loved him. Somebody might say, well, how can I know? How can I know that God is good? How, how can you prove to me, preacher, that, that God is good to the degree that I should trust him and actually obey him? And I would say to that, if, if he would be so loving as to send his own son into this world to be treated as a common criminal, to be hated upon, and ultimately to be crucified in your place, That's the kind of God I I can see nothing but good coming from. They obeyed him. They obeyed him expectantly. We're reminded from the Old Testament that to obey is what? It's better than sacrifice. They obeyed him. So let me just ask here, is there any place, dear church, that you are uh, aware that you're not obeying your Lord right now? Is there any place where you know you're walking in the opposite direction from what God has said? You will not walk. You will not walk in the blessing of the Lord. I will not walk in the blessing of the Lord if I'm walking in contradiction to the commands of God. Because that will mean that I've been walking in contradiction to the Holy Spirit and quenching His Spirit within me. Because the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, they act together. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God are, in that sense, one. They give the same counsel. So I just want to ask you, point number one, very simply, they expectantly obeyed. Is there any place in your heart where you're not obeying the Lord right now? I believe the Lord just wants to draw that to your mind, that you might repent of it and turn away and walk the other direction. We'll come back to that at the close. Second thing I see here, um, they were devoted to prayer. Very simply, verse 14 tells us, and all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Now, before we get into the why of their devotion to prayer, I do want to just note for a moment those whom Luke particularly mentions. So let me read again the list of the apostles and then the others that he mentions. Verse 13, And when they had entered Jerusalem, they went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Now, obviously, that's not Judas the Iscariot, the one who uh, turned away from Christ. There were two Judases among 
the apostles. Verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So, so who are these women that Luke takes time to make a special mention of? Well, back in his first book, the Gospel of Luke, he takes time in chapter 8 to note a few of these ladies because they were significant women. They were significant disciples of Christ. Um, he notes in chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, he notes Mary Magdalene. Who was she? She was the one out of whom Jesus had cast out seven demons. And now, um, with this new life in front of her, she followed her Lord beautifully. Joanna. Who was Joanna? Joanna was the, the, the wife of the man who managed Herod's affairs. Uh, but she was a disciple of Jesus. And then Susanna, who, who, among others, provided out of her own needs for, for the mission to go forward. She, she gave significantly to the mission of Christ. And then he mentions by name Mary, the mother of Jesus. So, so Mary is there among these 120, the mother of God. She is, she is there um, using her life, giving her all to the cause of the Gospels. It even notes his brothers, Jesus' brothers, those who, who said, we think you are crazy, Jesus, and something happened. God had acted upon them. And so he notes that this whole group was numbered about 120, and they were devoting themselves to prayer. So you have to ask the question, why were they so devoted to prayer? Well, somehow they knew that if God was going to move in and through them, they were probably very aware of their own frailties and weaknesses and besetting sins themselves. They knew that if God was going to move in their midst, that they needed to ask him to do that. It wasn't a given thing. They needed to devote themselves to prayer. That means to set aside time. That means to um, commit yourself and make a plan and actually do it. So let me use an illustration here. So what does a devoted Eagles fan look like? Uh, you could probably fill in the blanks. My guess would be a devoted Eagles. And I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying, what does a devoted fan look like? Well, they're probably wearing the jersey on game day. Um, maybe they've painted their room green. Uh, they would know that this week Zach Ertz said, I want to die an eagle. Well, okay, maybe not that. He said, I want to re retire as an eagle. I want to stay in Philadelphia. He was very close to being traded. Um, he, devoted fans know who the first game is against. Devoted fans have been down to the stadium and have plunked down their hard-earned cash to go and enjoy being in that stadium. They're devoted and their passion is known. They're devoted. These believers are devoted to prayer. Their passion is, is made known by their choices. They're devoted to prayer. They, they love to pray. Acts 2.42 talks about the early converts. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, like a pizza meal in two weeks, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Acts 6, what does it say? But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of 
thanksgiving. Now, dear friends, with, with prayer, I'm just aware of a certain reality. I doubt that there's someone in this room right now who would say, you know what, with prayer, I got it. I'm good. I don't need to learn how to pray anymore. I pray all, enough already. I, I doubt that there's anyone in this room. And, and sometimes we can just feel guilty about it. God never guilts us into greater obedience. That's, that's uh, guilt is from the enemy. He's the one that, that, that brings guilt. But, but to the degree that we may be stirred by the Holy Spirit and say, yeah, Lord, I, I want to be more devoted to prayer because I treasure Christ. He is my treasure, and so I'm going to take time to devote myself to prayer. I'm going to take time and make a plan and give myself over to this because I love him. I was talking to a brother in our church this week, and he was telling me that on his four-by-six cards, he, he devotes himself to prayer about all kinds of things. That may sound old-fashioned, but what it, you know, there are apps for this. But whatever way you want to choose to do it, there is a devotion to prayer that is real. If we're not devoted to prayer... We won't drift toward the Lord. We drift away. These dear people, they wanted all that God wanted for them. And they knew that apart from Jesus, they could accomplish, dear friends, nothing. Nothing of any value. And so they devoted themselves to prayer. They made prayer a top priority. They, they longed to commune with God, and so they gave their heart over to it. Dear friends, this is why the, the, the all-church prayer meetings are, are just a part of our church calendar, because we want to grow, don't we, in being devoted to pray for one another. We want to grow in expressing our dependency upon God by saying, Lord, I need you. It's our closing song. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Nothing expresses our dependency upon the power of God to be at work in us than prayer. They were devoted to prayer. I had the, the opportunity this week at the, the Sovereign Grace Life Together conference to sit on a panel. And the question that came to me was, uh, you know, Jeremy, all of life is is worship. It's just a question of what and whom we're worshiping. And, and so related to parenting, um, you know, what is your best advice to how to parent when we're exasperated as parents? And I simply said, prayer. God can do in 10 seconds by the power of the Holy Spirit what could take us 10 years or 100 years to see come in place. God could do in 10 seconds by responding to your heartfelt, earnest prayer for your child. And he can do it. So which are we going to choose, dear parents? I'm speaking to myself here. We're going to be full of angst and worry and, and get on our kids. and like. There's a role and responsibility here. I'm not saying we're, we're not parents. I'm simply saying where is our confidence? I want my confidence to be in the power of God 
to do what I can't do for my children. The power of God through the working of the Holy Spirit to come and invade their heart in a way that I can't, I'm not the Holy Spirit, I can't do it. We all have prayer requests for our children, don't we? Every parent in this room has a prayer request for their children. I want to be devoted to pray. Let me remind you of the words of Christ. I hope this has encouraged you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. But Jeremy, I've been praying for 20 years for this. Luke also records a parable that Jesus told, quote, to the effect that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. So, dear friends, as we desire to be devoted to prayer, oh, may it be that the Lord puts wind in our sails as the Holy Spirit helps us to offer what at times may even be groans and utterings, right? Sometimes your prayers are probably like mine. No words. Groans and utterings. Let us be devoted to prayer. I was... I was reading Piper this week, and he said this about being devoted to prayer. I thought this was helpful. It does not mean that this won't be on the screen. It does not mean that prayer is all you do any more than being devoted to a wife means that a husband, all a husband does is hang out with her and hold her hand. Um, but his devotion to her affects everything that he does and causes him to give himself to her in many different ways. So being devoted to prayer doesn't mean that all you do is sit around and pray. No, you actually do have to go to work. But it does mean that there will be a pattern of praying that looks like devotion to prayer. Think about this privately. In your own home, in your own room, Would you say that there's a a pattern of devotion to prayer? Gathering with other people, would you say that there's a pattern of devotion to prayer? And again, don't hear condemnation. Hear this stirring of the Lord because he wants to bring you more into himself. He wants to draw you into himself and equip you with more so that you and I can be more faithful, that we can stand in the midst of a generation that is not looking for him, that we would be able to accomplish that much more by being devoted to prayer. (laughs) C.H. Spurgeon, in his letters to lectures to his students, Spurgeon, you may recall, ran a pastor's college in England, and uh, so he would teach his students uh, how to preach and how to proclaim and to be, he was looking to raise up pastors. And he said, you may have heard this before, I would rather teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. How could he say that? Because when one person is convinced that there is real power in prayer, There's no telling what God can do through those prayers. Third thing I see, glad submission to Scripture. 
As the apostles were aware, uh, because of the teaching of Scripture, they knew that Judas's role, his vacancy, needed to be filled by another. Um, Peter knew this. Now, again, they didn't have the whole counsel of the Word of God. All they had was the Old Testament. Let me draw your mind back to Luke 24, where Jesus was walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And what did they say happened in their hearts as he expounded the word of God to them? What did it say? Do you remember? Their hearts burned within them. They were being awakened by God and what he was doing and and helping them to see the glory of the word of God. And so these were people now, these were disciples and and the apostles were ones who were devoted to scripture and, and they gladly submitted their hearts and their lives to the call of scripture. And we see this, they, they actually, they didn't just say, Hey, we, we believe in scripture. They actually lived it out by the way that they replaced Judas. We see this in a couple of ways. They uh, look with you, with me, if you will, at verse 20. For it is written, they, they get their direction from the word of God. Uh, Peter is saying, for it is written in the book of Psalms, and he quotes uh, Psalm, I forget now. You, you'll see it in the sidelines there. I wrote it somewhere here in my notes. But he quotes two Psalms here. May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And then he quotes another psalm, let another take his office. My point in drawing your attention to these is that Peter isn't just making this up as he goes. He's submitting him his heart to what Scripture said to do. Do you see it? He, he gladly submits to scripture. They were studying the scripture. As their hearts burned, they were, they were just encouraged all the more to go back to scripture and take their direction from scripture. And so these two scriptures found their way to direct them how they would, they would go. Notice, again, they didn't go their own way. They could have said, hey, uh, these 11 guys are, are pretty good. we got to get going. There's no one who's trained. Well, let's just roll with 11. They could have said that. Or they could have said, which may have been more likely, man, this gospel task in front of us, we're going to the ends of the earth. We need everyone possible to be as many apostles as, as is humanly possible. So let's take a bunch. No, they, they said because Scripture told them to, they said let's, let's fill this one vacancy and let's do it as God has done. They were governed by the Word of God. See, dear friends, in our lives, you and I, we, we need to continue to go to the Word because it encourages us, it builds us up, but it also, we need to go because we are the people who are governed by the Word of God. When God says, no, don't do that, we say, okay. When God says, go and do, likewise, we say, all right. And we are governed by Scripture. As, as a pastor, what we do in this church has to be governed by Scripture, What you do in your life has to be, if we want to be faithful, it has to be governed by Scripture. And that's what these did. They obeyed Scripture. They replaced the vacancy filled uh, by Judas. There were qualifications, by the way, as well for apostleship. They needed to have been with Jesus the whole time. Peter says that in verse 21. They needed to have been an eyewitness of the resurrection Why would that be? Why would an apostle need to be an eyewitness to the resurrection? Well, um, this is actually the first, well, the last, excuse me, the last place that we see and hear about Matthias. 
We don't know how Matthias died, but we do know that a number of the other apostles did die for their faith. And they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection, which emboldened them. Can you imagine dying but remembering not only the, resu- uh, the, the crucifixion but also the glorious resurrection that Jesus beat death? And if Jesus can beat death and he lives in you, well, guess what? You are going to beat it as well. Though the body they may kill, his truth abideth still. And we will be resurrected to life. So they needed to be eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They needed to have been chosen by the Lord himself. This is is what it says in verse 24. Look how they prayed. They cast lots, which was an Old Testament way of deciding the will of God. And they prayed and said, look there. You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen for this ministry. So they, they even are acknowledging, Lord, um, you know, this is the way we're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to draw straws, if you will, um, just understanding that we know you, you've already chosen the person, and this is the way you're going to tell us. Uh, we don't necessarily do it that way presently, um, though I think the Amish do. Uh, but this is the way they put their trust in the Lord. They said, Lord, you've chosen. Just help us to see it clearly and easily. And he did. I want to draw us to a close here. And I just want to ask you as we move toward application and then toward working this into our own, like simple things. You haven't heard anything new here today. But, but I pray that the Lord will have stirred you up by way of reminder to, to the very things that, that we as Christians are committed to. Like we... We expectantly obey. Remember Psalm 19, in keeping them there is what? There's great reward. We, we expect that, that as we obey the Lord, he is going to be with us and he's going to help us and he's going to, he's going to bless us. That doesn't mean hardship won't come. That means that in the midst of hardship from time to time, that we are going to know whose we are because we're walking with him. We're going to know that God is with us because we're, we're in his word and we're walking by his spirit and the spirit and the word go together. We know that we can trust and obey. This was the song I sang growing up as a kid, especially at baptisms. Do you know it? Trust and obey for there's no other way to be what in Jesus? Happy, yeah. To be joyful. Not because our circumstances just wash all away and you know, we, we no longer have difficulties, but, but we can trust him and we can obey him. There's, there's no other way than to just do what he says. So let me return to where we started. Brothers, sisters, how are you doing at, at just obeying the word of the Lord? The simple, unadulterated, uncomplicated word of the Lord. When he says things like, Love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) I don't need to look very far to see where I disobey and how I just want to sing this closing song. Lord, I need you. I need you so much. I need you to love my wife. I need you to love my family. I need you to love the church. I need you to love my neighbor. I, I don't have to look far. And the Lord is here. You know what he's here to do? He's here to help us.
here to help us by the Holy Spirit that we might expectantly obey him. They were devoted to prayer. Oh, dear friends, I just, again, I want to encourage the 930 prayer in the teacher's lounge. Uh, when we have those all-church prayers, uh, your personal prayers um, with your Bible open each morning or evening, uh, just let us be a church that's devoted to pray because we love our Lord and because we are dependent upon him. And then may we be challenged together to be absolutely governed by the word of God. The counsel of the Lord stands true. We're never going to hear any bad counsel from God. This is what the early church did. And look what happened. Honestly, look what happened. If you're looking for a recipe, here it is. God's given it to us. They obeyed and they prayed and they were governed by the word of God. And the world has never been the same since. It's not complicated. It's simple. Lord, we need you. Help us to obey and trust and walk with you. So with that, would you stand with me now? We're going to sing this song as our closing song because it fits so well with our need. Uh, And I remind us all, God has drawn us together this morning as his sons and daughters Because he loves us. Because he wants to give more of himself to us. Because he wants us to be stirred by the the holy words that he has spoken. That we might be followers of Christ. That we would obey him simply. That we would respond to him as we pray. That would be take the word and be governed by it. And so we pray, Lord... I need you every hour. Lord, I need you. As we're praying too, I I just, if you just want to come down front and take this space and just uh, pray and maybe a friend or someone in your care group or someone in the church would just love to come alongside of you and pray. In one sense, we, we all need prayer, but if you just want to pray, if you want to come down and I do it, you know, we're here together. The Lord is here. He wants to bless us. He wants to meet us. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you that we just see in the early church this, this devotion to you that, that as they made their priorities known, as they, they displayed what they treasured more than anything else, Lord, they, they were devoted to these things. Lord, all of us want to grow in in our devotion to you. Help us by your spirit to grow and, and help us now as we sing this closing song, just asking for you to help us in our need that we might be more like Christ and that we might treasure him more. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.